0: All right, and welcome to Tapeheads. I'm Sean. I'm Lindsay. Tapeheads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection or sometimes a guest's collection. Uh, we watch it and then we talk about it. This episode, we have a special guest on the show. Uh, he's a local Bay Area filmmaker. His short films include Strange Thing and Brother, uh, both award winning shorts. He's also currently developing a feature. And he's got his own movie podcast called Making Movies
1: is Hard. Welcome to the show, Ulrich Bursell. Hey, everybody. How's I, it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Here. So should I talk about why we're watching The Terminator? Uh, well, is that what you picked for this episode? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you tell us. Yeah, so The Terminator. Um, yeah, when Sean, when you invited me to the show, I was thinking of like what movie... Do I have on VHS? Because I, I, you know, I used to have a VHS collection like everybody, but I've gotten rid of mine because uh moved on to DVDs and now Blu-rays. And, you know, I haven't really kept on to the old ones. But uh the Terminator was one I don't think I ever actually owned on VHS. But um, my grandpa had a collection of video discs. Do you remember video discs? Oh, like discs? laser discs? Oh, yeah. Pre-laser discs. Pre-laser discs. It's called Whoa. like CEDs or something or other. They're like Whoa. cassette video discs of some kind. What did they even look like? They're like these yeah. huge plastic, like like record size, a little bit bigger than record size. We'll, we'll get some images of what these things look like. And they're like these heavy plastic discs. Well, no, they're not discs. They're cartridges. And then you insert it into a player and then the discs on the inside and then oh. it takes it in. Oh,
2: so like an old fl- a floppy where it had like a pl- plastic case exactly. around it and wow. then there was like a thin disc
1: yeah. inside? Yeah, I think they're called Weird. video cassette discs. I actually sh- should have looked up what they're called before I came, but uh, they're these huge things and my grandpa had like hundreds and hundreds of these that he would go to garage sales every weekend and he just collect stuff. So, like,
2: oh, that's so funny. like growing up
1: as like a 10-year-old, a nine-year-old, uh, I'd go to my grandparents' house and there's this huge garage full of mostly records, but there'd be like this one section that was these video discs and I would go back there and I would like look through all the video discs and bring them out and show them to my mom and she'd be like you can't watch that one you can't watch this one and Terminator that's the first time I watched Terminator was on a video disc
2: do you have any recollection of the quality? Like was there a difference between that and a video cassette? I think it's better than
1: VHS like oh, slightly. Yeah. But um, And this is also different than Betamax. So that was another Yeah, it's different than Beta. But he, my grandpa also had Beta too. So yeah. like he had VHS and Beta. all <laughs> <laughs> exactly. so the ultimate early adopter. Yeah, when I first watched ET it was on Beta cuz that's what my my grandpa Whoa. had. Like, yeah. Wow. So, but that's why I thought of the Terminator because that's, you know, my first recollection of watching that movie was on this video disc and I know it's not VHS, but it's and similar. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so I that movie always stuck with me back from those days and then of course later on becoming a huge fan of Terminator 2 and other James Cameron movies, I went back and watched it, and then fell in love with it even more later on.
2: It's funny how grandfathers do that. My grandpa got a laserdisc player and had a ton of laserdiscs and t- kept talking about how that was the future. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what everybody would be watching. It was so short lived.
0: Right. I mean, I'm sure the quality was superior to VHS. Oh yeah. yeah.
1: The thing with the video disc is, so you you see, so it had this huge cartridge, right? And then you would load it into the player, and then it would take the disc into the player. Then you take the cassette. Char- thing out you'd put it on the side and then you'd watch one half and then halfway through the movie you have to stick it back in pull it out and then you flip it
2: <gasps> I can and then see why... stick the other it sounds like a
1: pizza oven, <laughs> <You know? laughs>
2: You're like yeah, motioning. I can, I can yeah. see why this didn't end up going anywhere like it seems a lot easier to take just a rectangular VHS tape and right. throw it in right yeah
1: I don't know what why what the deal is why it was invented like I guess it must have been like because it, it, it seems like it's the precursor to the laser disc you mm-hmm. know like yeah. not as good quality but same kind of you know, function, but they had, they made a bunch of them, you know. Wow.
0: Especially with this movie. I mean, it was a, it was a big hit when it first came. Well, not a huge hit when it first came out. Right. But this movie became such a cult hit kind of in the wake of Schwarzenegger's celebrity, like on home video and the demand for a sequel grew throughout the 80s and early 90s, in large part because of it, people watching it on VHS or yeah. other weird formats.
1: Yeah, I heard the same thing, and that's kind of another reason why I thought about this movie, was because it was such a big, like the VHS was a big reason why it became popular, and then a sequel came from that years and years later. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah, and that's a really excellent point, and that happened for a lot of different movies, right? Where they ended up having a bigger life on cassette than mm. they did in the theaters. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. Well, Evil
1: Dead, wasn't that, like, a big part of that, Mm -hmm. too? I think so, yeah. Because, like, no one knew about it when it was in the theaters, I think, and then it was only, like, through this, like, sort of VHS, like, fan base.
2: Yeah. Princess Bride was another one that was more successful on home video than in theaters. Especially since
0: looking at The Terminator, the original, it was almost like an exploitation movie. I mean, the, the way that it was, like... They they made it for eight and a half million dollars, which is a pretty fair budget, but still like a, a low budget movie. James Cameron, who is fresh out of the Roger Corman kind of cheapo school of filmmaking. What did
2: you say, Piranha 2? The yeah. Spawning. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, which apparently, he doesn't consider that to be his first movie, but it is. Right. Also has Lance Henriksen in it, uh, and there's underwater photography, so I consider it a James Cameron movie. Yeah. But he was kicked out of the editing room, and I think it was on that movie, and you are talking about this too, all right, before we started recording, just how... He had dreams in Italy of, of, like, this robot torso coming after him, and that was kind of the genesis of The Terminator.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. I love I love that whole, like, the idea of, like, what it is to be, like, a first-time filmmaker and that, like, oh, yeah, James Cameron, he made The Terminator or whatever, and then you learn that, no, no, that wasn't his first movie. He had other opportunities before that, and so, like, it, it starts to make more sense.
0: Yeah, because he, he had a bunch of weird jobs before this. I mean, he was a truck driver, and then he was doing, like, special effects, like yeah. practical work. Uh, like- for these cheapo exploitation movies
2: it seems like he likes to promote the myth that he started he really got to start with the Terminator and that's yeah. probably what really launched his career oh definitely
0: right.
1: nobody saw Piranha 2 The Spawning but he yeah. had Although a slow <laughs> well yeah but it makes sense like how he got Lance Hendrickson in the movie mm. and like you yeah. know a lot of the origins of, of Terminator coming from that experience yeah. and his oh, other yeah. work
0: and Dick Miller who plays the uh, ill-fated gun shop owner he shows up in all kinds of Roger Carman movies Movies. Oh. So that's definitely sort of a tip of the hat to that, that world. Something.
2: Nice. Can you explain exploitation movie really quick? Cause yeah. I, I'm always not quite sure what that means.
0: So I think this is most prevalent in like the sixties, seventies, eighties where there were like studio pictures and then there were B movies that were produced by places like, you know, Roger Corman had a bunch of different outfits, like new world pictures and places where they were mm-hmm. just like crank out movies, like usually genre movies They'd shoot them in like five to ten days um, and they're like notable for being the launching pad for not just actors like jack nicholson and people mm-hmm. like that but also directors like ron howard james cameron a lot of people that was like their film school as they just they learn how to like do these grueling you know fast-paced shoots that would be like just appealing to like drive-in audiences oh, like i think that's okay. where the term exploitation comes from is like they're exploiting people just because <laughs> exploiting they, their talent yeah. to get
2: something out there and make some money
0: i mean also exploiting the audience because <laughs> usually the marketing materials would be the best thing about the movie and you'd show up and there'd be like you know five minutes of the monster and some tna and like a lot yeah. of bad acting and that uh, was the <laughs> they're
1: usually violent too yeah right?
0: super violent yeah.
2: a lot of horror films made that way mm, kind yeah. of thing
0: I think of the Terminator as just a lot of those trappings, but in a very like higher brow packaging with like great actors, a great story Mm -hmm. and just super fast paced. And, you know, I can see a lot of the tricks that he learned
1: in that world being applied to this. Okay. I always just think of it as like the ultimate sci-fi, you know, movie. And like, I think before I would always think of it, I was like, just like a great sci-fi action movie, but then we watching it over and over again I really think of it more of a sci-fi horror movie because it's really like... Yeah, like you even said, Lindsay, while we are watching it that it's like a slasher, and it is really kind of slasher-y in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I know. see a lot of Halloween in its DNA, for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, Sean, you even pointed out how they frame some of the shots so that he can jump in and give you a little bit of that kind of jump scare going on. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and I bet it's even more prevalent if we were watching it widescreen as it was intended. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think of a lot of the shots in Halloween where Dean Cundy would have like, you know, three fourths of the frame is just empty. And it's like, well, what's going (laughs) to pop up in that space? And it's kind of like using the, the shooting to kind of make you apprehensive.
1: I don't know. I wonder if audiences were looking for that back when they watched originally, but like now, like you know, you kind of like like where is the scare gonna yeah. come? Like when's it gonna happen? When's it gonna move? You know. <laughs> and I think that's partly based off of knowing the movie and seeing it before and knowing it's about to happen. But does it happen in this shot? Is it happen in the next shot? You
0: know. Mm-hmm. And this is the part of the podcast where I derail this conversation to talk about the ad that was on the tape. Oh yeah. This came out in a lot of different versions. The Terminator franchise is notorious for changing hands legally throughout the years through like hemdale live entertainment orion mgm warner brothers like so many different companies have had the rights this tape is when live entertainment had the rights and so there's this long kind of montage ad that opens the tape where they show terminator terminator 2 Dirty Dancing, Basic Instinct like all these like 80s and 90s like super hits that are now available on VHS
2: and don't necessarily fit together it's like the Fox Selections ad that we keep seeing over and over again and the
0: music they play is almost like this Chariots of Fire esque rip off (laughs) like Like, completely inappropriate for the Terminator shooting up the police station in their montage but Kind of appropriate for d-
1: Dirty Dancing. Yeah, but maybe not for Reservoir Dogs. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah <laughs> that, that was one, an odd isn't... one to be in there. Yeah. I guess
0: Live Entertainment did initially release that. Do you know what year this
1: VHS came out? Like, is it a 93, good point.
2: It's maybe? It says on
1: the back. Uh, 94? It says 95. 95, wow. It was either Terminator or Terminator 2, Or
0: I remember watching a VHS tape where... There was like a five minute promotional piece about Cutthroat Island, which is a <laughs> notorious bomb. Oh. And it like promoting not just the movie, but like sending away to be a part of their fan club and like getting all their merch. Yeah, like man. they were so. I, th- I think that was uh, Carol Co. Or Carol. Carol Co. Carol Co. Car- Carol Co. And I just yeah.
2: remember Gina Davis was in it and I am a fan of that movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember liking it okay, but it was kind of like they thought it was going to be what Pirates of the Caribbean later was. And they were, like, I remember, I think that ultimately bankrupted Karolko, but the T2 tape just opened with this long sales pitch of, like, cutthroat island and here are all the t-shirts and stuff you can get oh. to prepare yourself
2: that no one signed up for and they probably ended up <laughs> as prizes at the santa cruz beach boardwalk yeah that's what happens oh. to all of the yeah, <laughs> they have they have stuff there that you can win from the 90s like they oh. have old gargoyles cartoon the oh. like the tv yeah. show nice. they have goosebumps stuff from that.
0: March, yeah yeah, Santa Cruz is still on our minds from the Lost Boys episode. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Did you guys just
1: record that? Yeah, pretty recently. Oh, nice. I just watched that movie. I think for the first time last year I'd never oh, yeah. seen it before. Oh, really? And I watched it, and I was like, "Okay, that's pretty." There's some really cool stuff. Some really cheesy stuff, but it's a, yeah, it's a cool movie. It's fun. That's in Santa Cruz, which is bias, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: I think that's a big part of its appeal for sure.
1: Yeah, and Keith Sutherland's pretty insane. Oh, he's great. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sean's a self-described keeper head. Yeah, oh, really? <laughs> Kiefer head.
0: And also, as you can tell by the name of the podcast, I'm a big John Cusack fan too. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. a. I think.
1: Our 100th episode will be Tape Heads, the but, movie.
2: Ulrich, nice. would you describe yourself as a Schwarzenegger head?
1: Uh, yeah, or a Schwarzenegger junkie, a Schwarzenegger <laughs> obsessed fan, maybe. I don't know. Like I, have, I don't know if I've seen every Schwarzenegger movie, but I've seen like almost all of them, I think.
0: And where would you place this in the pantheon of Schwarzenegger oh, movies? Like
1: way up there with like the best of them yeah. I guess I mean it it doesn't have a lot of like what the later Schwarzenegger movies have where he's like always got the cigar or you know <laughs> he's like you know got the muscle shots yeah and, and, like, Predator. I feel like Predator is the peak of that yeah, yeah. and which is just uh, so beautiful and so <laughs> wonderful and then like you see that continue throughout like his movies in the 80s and the 90s but uh this is like you know the first time that he's really embodying a lot of of what he becomes on screen later. Mm-hmm. Although you did mention that Conan was before this. Time, yeah, maybe. yeah.
0: So how it worked out was, I mean, he blew up from his bodybuilding days right. and like um, pumping iron, the documentary, which is a semi-scripted mm-hmm. documentary. <laughs> but I mean, like he he just you could just tell at that point like he just had so much charisma and he's like this superhuman you know hercules right. time. i mean he even did a movie called hercules in new york right. notoriously yeah i'd say conan and its sequel were right before he actually had to delay filming on this because of the sequel oh, to conan interesting. which is like
1: so much of a disappointment after watching conan i mean yeah. oh my god like i remember as a kid loving both of them uh-huh. and then rewatching them in order you're like oh god no no it's so bad and then red sonya isn't even any better but, um, I don't know. I, I had a very special place in my heart for those movies as a kid, but then going back to them, you're like, really, the only one that's worth watching is the first Conan.
2: But at least you still found the first one worth watching. Oh,
1: it's so good, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> the first, have you guys seen the first Conan movie? I haven't recently? seen it, actually. I have oh oh, very, like, there's, oh, I've no. <laughs> seen all of Schwarzenegger
0: movies, all, uh, all of his movies for the most part, except for, like, the one he did with Jim Belushi or whatever. Oh, that one, mm. Red,
1: red uh, yeah, you know, was it Raw, raw Deal? I saw Raw Deal.
0: Red Heat Red is the Heat, one I think Red I missed. Yeah.
1: Red the, the ones pre-Terminator, I have very hazy memories of. Yeah. Well, Conan is like a gem, and it's like John Milius, right, who directed yeah. that? And that... Notorious yeah,
0: notorious nutcase of Hollywood.
1: But it's wonderful. It's so, yeah. it's so, ah, it's just like, mm, perfect. <laughs> I am obsessed
0: with the casting of the Terminator, because originally James Cameron envisioned this character of the Terminator as just blending in and being... Kind yeah. of looking like an everyman, which they later did with Robert Patrick in the second one. Right. And so he saw, I mean, he went through so many different ideas, like Lance Henriksen, who plays one of the cops in this. Famously O.J. Simpson, <laughs> who they thought was not believable as a
2: killer in the 80s. They learned that that was not right. right yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, but most interesting is the fact that originally Arnold wanted to play Kyle Reese, the the um, hero of the movie, But as they started talking about it, they both kind of realized like, no, the the centerpiece of this movie is the Terminator and he's a much better fit for this. And that sort of changed the conception of he's not this guy who blends in. He very much sticks out because he has a huge
1: robot skeleton yeah. underneath
0: his, his skin, his living tissue.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really recall the details, but I just love the story of when James Cameron and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger meet like for lunch or whatever. And then like that, that's kind of like, you know, he, he didn't even really want to meet with him from what I recall from some of the uh, behind the scenes. But then he yeah. goes to this meeting and then... You know, they get along, and then it just, like, goes from there.
2: Yeah. kind of click. That's funny. Yeah. I
0: think, like, also Arnold didn't fully understand the screenplay, or he thought it was going to be, like, a really shitty, like, sci-fi movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Probably. They just decided to kind of
1: trust James Cameron, and mm-hmm. the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's a commentary with Arnold for, for Terminator. Is there? I, I always get confused between all the... Because I listen to all the Arnold commentaries. Yeah. But uh, whatever there is for The Terminator is pretty amazing. I think it's a behind-the-scenes documentary. On that one.
0: Oh, is it just where it's Arnold and James Cameron just kind of sitting in one of their mansions and just talking, (laughs) like two titans
1: of the industry, just kind of shooting the shit. I love Arnold's commentaries and behind-the-scenes stuff. It's that's one of the draws for me. It's just so amazing to hear him talk about making the movies, and he loves doing them. Like the one to get off Terminator for a second, the Total Recall commentary with him and Paul Verhoeven is like.
2: Oh. oh my god That'd be I really interesting It's mind-blowing like, totally Yeah god.
1: It's so fun It seems uh, also like He's
0: very uh, open about things Like oh, he's yeah. very candid He doesn't oh, sure. really put on
1: airs about
0: Maybe he just can't Because yeah. that's his personality I don't
1: know That's one of the reasons Why I like him Because he's just very Matter-of-fact You know uh-huh. And he gets off On watching his own movie Like in Total Recall He's like Oh yeah This is the time When I bunched that guy Oh that so cool <laughs> <And> Remember <laughs> You set the frame it this way And we did it Oh my god And it's like He just gets off On talking about it. It's so cool that's
2: really funny. And what's great is that he was given a chance to find range as an actor over the course of his career. Like, he's really great in action. He can play a bad guy. He's yeah. good as a hero, but he's also really funny.
1: Yeah. Twins. Oh, man. Twins is so much fun.
2: Oh, yeah. I know that
0: there's the big debate of Terminator versus Terminator 2, and we could talk about the sequels after everything else, but sure. there's something so refreshing about seeing Arnold play just pure evil you just don't see this anywhere else yeah like he's just such he's just so simple and like driven just to kill and it's just with those cold dead eyes like it's a type of performance that like you said Lindsay like really works with his set of skills
2: yeah Yeah. he was perfectly cast for it I can't imagine it being anybody else
1: yeah, it's funny that you don't really think about him as a... Like, I don't think about him as a, a villain or a bad guy, you know, that much. Just, he's just the Terminator. That's what he's yeah. doing. He's just set yeah. to kill, you know? But you think about it, and especially at that time when he's, like, coming out as a, a movie star to take a role where he is just this killing machine who brutally murders people oh, yeah. throughout yeah. the movie in glorious, like, practical effect wizardry. It's yeah. like, oh, man. Yeah,
2: like, and definitely taking a risk because he's... Risking not being able to be a heroic lead in different action right. movies and stuff. Like, uh, we had talked about Hitchcock movies before. Sean and I just watched Suspicion, and they actually rewrote aspects of Suspicion because they didn't want to ruin Cary Grant's career. Oh, really? he was still kind of, like, establishing himself and seen as, like, a heartthrob male lead.
0: Oh. Yeah, because once you get pigeonholed at something... You know, as a bad yeah. guy or as a, some type yeah. that, that I feel like that's always a risk even today.
1: Yeah, I think Arnold just doesn't care though. He just yeah, like, he's, <laughs> he's about like what they're creating, like the piece of work, and he's like, oh, that's gonna be great, let's do it. You know, he just
2: throws himself into it. I yeah. feel
0: like you wouldn't see like Will Smith play a villain though. I feel no. like there's definitely stars that are very conscious about
1: okay, this is a very delicate thing that I have here. Uh-huh. I and mean, not to get off on the uh, tangent, but like that's kind of why Suicide Squad sort of sucks is because Will Smith wasn't willing. To play Deadshot as the bad guy that Deadshot is, he's like, oh, we have to change the character to make them all like, like uh, sympathetic and understanding, and give him a daughter, give him him a kid. (laughs) You're like, come on, can't you just be the badass that Deadshot is? Like, or like, don't
2: take that role if you're not willing to have the edge to it.
0: I think a success story is Tom Cruise and Collateral, where he's just like, I'm gonna subvert my star power to play like this.
1: Unfeeling killing machine. And he does yeah. it
2: really well. He's
1: great in that movie. Yeah, Tom Cruise, that that's a really good role and a really good point. Like n- Will Smith has never done anything like that before. Yeah.
2: No. no. So you have the Arnolds and the Tom Cruises of the world who will do it, but right. the Smiths
1: yeah. won't. Come on, Will Smith. Be a bad guy for once. What's <laughs> he got to lose at this
0: point in his yeah, career? So I mean he's done it all yeah, except he hasn't loves won the it. Oscar yet, I guess, but you're not gonna win it for
1: Suicide Squad. Yeah. So. I don't know. Or like whatever, focus. Did you guys see that movie? The
0: con man joint? I didn't see it. No, I don't...
1: I had to turn it off.
0: Besides just Schwarzenegger, there's a ton of great performances in this film. I mean, there's... It's really the, the three leads. I mean... Michael Bean, you know, oh, is man. so good in this, as he is in all of his movies with James Cameron, like uh-huh. Aliens and the Abyss. Yeah. And also Linda Hamilton, like, I don't know what she had done prior to this, but, you know, what a star is born moment for her as well. Yeah. In this yeah world.
2: She, she's so convincing as the every woman that gets tied up in this thing and then just is desperate to survive. Yeah. And that really is kind of great.
0: Without being bogged down by her eighties trappings also, like her Vespa and her huge hair. hair. Unless her actors would just be swallowed up by those elements of the production
2: on a modern watch. You pointed out Arnold's mullet, but she had the true mullet of the cast.
1: Oh my gosh. And like when that one scene when she's getting ready to go out, she's got like the shoulder pads like kind Mm -hmm. of like, you know, suit thing going on with the hair. You're like, Oh man, what's going on? I, I love her performance because, especially in going into what beco- what she becomes in T2, it's like this perfect, like you said, every woman, naturalistic yeah. sort of performance, like, you know, just taking in this crazy scenario and react- reacting to it in a natural way. It's like, oh, it's kind of what I shoot for in my own work, you know, just trying to get an actress or an actor to sort of just take it in and react in the believable way like say the words that a person would say in these yeah. situations and not buy into it too quickly and not reject it too much you yeah know? exactly like balance you know mm-hmm. i love i love her intro where she's riding the vespa going to work and it's yeah. just like, you know juxtaposed with like seeing arnold walking around like, yeah you know trying to like murdering people cut to linda hamilton like ah just a person going to my job you but, know, and, that I suck at. <laughs> yeah, she,
2: and it just looks like a crappy job, and then you kind of get into that, that sort of the feel of her day-to-day that completely removes her from everything that's going on in the future and with Arnold.
1: Yeah.
0: And I like the detail that she's bad at her job, and she's bad with just relationships, apparently. Like, she's, I mean, she seems to date, like, flaky guys. It's almost like she's trying to find her purpose and it's put in her lap by this warrior from the future. Right. Well,
2: and it's kind of funny cuz you have like a few of those scenes that she could almost be in a rom-com. They could almost be setting yeah. up a rom-com and then she's pulled into this Sci-fi horror. Yeah, with her yeah. and
1: her roommate together. Yeah. Like, oh, Pugsley but...
0: the iguana. Yeah. Pugsley, <laughs> the real star of the film.
1: <laughs> all those
2: things, I just
1: gotta say, like the way that James Cameron builds suspense throughout this opening section is like just brilliant. You know, yeah. like Pugsley is a good point because you'd think, oh, that's just a character thing that exists just to give her a little bit of character, but it actually plays a, a kind of a pivotal role in the suspense moment later in the movie. And it's like, he everything James Cameron does has purpose. Like, he doesn't yeah. just introduce an iguana just to introduce an iguana. He's like, I have a plan for that iguana later mm-hmm. that's going to result in a scare or a payoff yeah. for the audience, you know?
0: Or the the photograph that comes back. I mean, there's a lot of different things that that sort of pay off later. Yeah,
2: small things. Even when they're in the final scenes in the factory, when they have that kind of crushing machine activate as they're trying to run away, and then it comes back, and that's the way that she destroys the Terminator. Or we think she destroys the Terminator. (laughs)
1: Right, exactly.
2: I guess the only... I I did think of something that came in out of nowhere was the the first aid kit after they escaped the police station. (laughs) Although
0: that's the kind of James Cameron thing (laughs) where I almost feel like if we rewatch that scene, there'd be some insert shot of her grabbing it because he's such a technical, like... Nerd for those sort of things. Yeah.
2: So, like she took it from the lieutenant's office, maybe.
1: Or maybe every car has a first aid kit. You know, it could like tucked be. In, yeah. in the trunk. Maybe that's a good know. point. My yeah.
2: mom always kept a first aid kit in the car. I've got one in the car.
1: And just how
0: lean and perfectly paced this movie is, and without ever feeling like it, just exposition, action, exposition, action, conclusion. Like yeah. mm-hmm. it, it, it feels like every. Every scene really does like serve a purpose, either to build character or to like further the plot. And all the action scenes, all the chase—I mean, since it is kind of one big chase, it, but it never really feels gratuitous at any point. Like it's always advancing the story and getting them to the next destination.
2: Unlike a uh, transporter or <laughs> recent Jason Bourne movie. Yeah, or Crank thank <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's just endless chases yeah
1: I love the the way they handle the cops in this movie and the way that like that part of the reality is brought into the whole mm-hmm. scene because like you always wonder when you're like thinking about a movie or like watching a movie it's like well what are the cops doing like why is this allowed to happen? Like, how could... Where is the intervention of, like, what is real life? Yeah. And they mm-hmm. handle that, I think, in a really smart way.
2: And it's interesting, too, that they didn't make the cop Because a lot of movies like this make the cops totally incompetent. And these yeah. guys weren't incompetent. They just didn't understand or have any conception of how to deal with a Terminator. Just because they'd never encountered it before they could believe it would exist.
0: I'd like to see the side movie of just Paul Winfield and Lance Henriksen as these buddy cops. Right. I know, because great. every scene they have together there's there's details I notice on every watch like when Paul Winfield asks for a cigarette mm-hmm. and he and he realizes he's already holding one and like sets right. it down or the fact that Lance Henriksen has to wrote like cycle back to some story about everything, like yeah. about some guy he knew he was on PCP and <laughs> put his hand through
1: a windshield. Well, that's just constantly justifying, like yeah. how this is just a, a real thing and how there's there's nothing odd about this. Yeah, you, know?
2: you have to rationalize.
0: Yeah. The uh, police psychiatrist played by Earl Bowen, who's also in the second one with an even bigger role. Oh man. Of course, he looks at it as like he's excited about this because he can like write. book about this guy like visibly giddy about the fact like i'm gonna launch a career off (laughs) this guy he's practically like skipping out of the station past arnold the real cyborg as he comes in to exterminate everyone
2: like he clearly has some experience being a counselor in the police office too and And stephanie's completely completely disregards how sarah uh, connor might be feeling and lets the tape keep playing because he's so excited and when the guy keeps uh, starts talking about how she's going to be violently murdered and all this stuff he's just like look at Oh, yeah, man. this is awesome. Yeah,
1: the cops have more sense than he does. They're yeah. Like, yeah, just turn that off. He's like, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. About that. it's kind of the Fraser Crane thing
0: where he's uh, he specializes in the human psyche, but he's also completely socially
1: inept. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the other thing about those cops I really enjoyed was that they uh, they didn't give them like these heroic big death moments. It's just mm-hmm. like they're they're blown away. Yeah, and you're like, oh, that sucks, but like. They didn't draw it out. They didn't mm-hmm. put too much, like, of this, like, schmaltzy melodrama to their their death scenes.
0: Even know? when Kyle Reese dies, it's just, she walks up to him and he's like, oh, he's dead. Yeah. Like, his eyes are still, that's such, and in a way that's more affecting when she turns him over and his eyes are still open, like, that's such a haunting image. And
2: you yeah. get that strong emotional moment without having to dwell on it yeah. too much. Yeah. Because in that situation, she still needs to survive mm-hmm. and you have to just kind of go with it.
1: Yeah, because he dies and then immediately the turn. A minute, it pops back yeah. yeah and like even as a kid or even a younger man like I remember just feeling like oh after the police sequence it's like okay now it slows down and it it's whatever it's a little slow it's a little boring like before the the big fi- final action sequence but I thought I was like really engaged through that whole time mm-hmm. when they're like talking and she's hearing about the future and they're kind of falling in love or whatever having their romantic moment but I think that actually works really well in mm-hmm. this movie. Those few hours they spent together, they loved a lifetime's worth.
2: (laughs) And made a child. That's
0: an interesting thing, too. Just the uh, time paradoxes within this movie, and especially the sequel, where was this always going to happen? Was he always going to come back and be John Connor's father? I guess Mm -hmm. that's what we're left to assume. Right.
1: There's no other option, right? Because then who would have taught him a lot of the things he knew to survive later?
0: How did she know to be in hiding when the bombs fell? and that sort of thing.
2: When he really kind of gave her some of that basic early knowledge that she ends up working off of to create the resistance later. Mm-hmm.
1: Kyle Reese definitely affects Sarah in a big way like you know as far as like becoming that warrior woman you know and that whole yeah. experience like surviving a Terminator like that's pretty crazy
2: this has been a love fest I'm trying to think of some some kind of critique we could make <laughs> right.
0: well I right. mean well here's something we can chew on uh, we were marveling about the effects in this movie and I think it's the kind of marveling where You can see that they're practical effects. A lot of times you can see that it's miniatures and, like, forced perspective and that sort of thing. It's hard to look at that as a flaw, though, because the effects just look so good and they're so memorable. And I've seen, you know, so many CG effects where... Even if they look good, they don't really stick in my mind. Whereas, like, the design of the Terminator yeah.
1: and these hunter-killers, they're just so iconic. Um, well, here, okay, I'll, here's my big... My, my, I think the thing I like the least about the movie, and I still love them, are the, fla- the flash-forwards flashbacks to the future. Because I think they sometimes slow the movie down and sort of bog you down a little bit mm-hmm. in these, like, r- super dark... Super, like, laser blasty, you yeah. know, sort of yeah. sequences. But the part, the, the one big criticism I had from watching this again, and we were laughing throughout, was uh, the one sequence where they're actually in the underground bunker and you're getting to see how the humans live a little bit. Uh-huh. And there's like the little girl who's watching the TV screen with yeah. the fire. It's <laughs> just the TV
2: air. on fire. <laughs> right.
1: And it's a little bit. Like, you know, just a little ham-fisted, you know. And then all the sound effects of the women... There's a woman crying, and there's people like hunting like grabbing rats to eat Uh it's just just a little much
2: it's a little too much yeah Yeah. they didn't have to be that heavy-handed with it it's like we get it they he lives in a desperate situation in the future they don't have much to look forward to
1: yeah it was almost like all these things were layered on each other like you go from one like sad depressing moment and then you hear the woman crying and then you Mm -hmm. hear like the people like you know trying to whatever find some food and the the kids playing with trash and you're like oh my gosh A
2: woman eating gruel and stuff like i was having <laughs> right. flashbacks to different charles dickens stories it's very Dickensian. poor people
1: yeah i don't know what about you guys any other moments where you felt like it was less than perfect
2: i guess one thing i found kind of interesting to think about later was the choice of arnold like physically and then just the way he plays it it's really good but it is kind of interesting for a cyborg that can do any voice essentially his default voice is has a strong austrian accent (laughs) which is a little weird like why why would this robot this cyborg i should say have that accent as his default that's a really tiny nitpick
0: i mean arnold's accent is a funny thing because there's very few movies like if you look at a movie like true lies where he's like supposed to be this all American like spy it's like why is he built like that and why does he have the or like a more extreme Jingle example it's like way. yeah Jingle All The Way he's just like he's somebody's dad and he's a, clearly a bodybuilder and Austrian and nobody comments on no, it and
2: it's like we figured out he's the worst dad in the world because he clearly spends so much time at the office that any time out of the office he would spend in the gym to be yeah. that built
0: yeah. he's
1: putting in his three hours a day at Gold's gym You're, you're Jingle All The Way episode is one of my favorites. <laughs> I, I love that movie, and your guys' take on it was really fun. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank yeah. you.
0: I know that there's a deleted scene in Terminator 3. It's at the Cyberdyne offices when they're designing like an early model of the Terminator. Mm. And they have Arnold, who's like this general, and he's dubbed over with an American accent. I forget exactly what he says, but he's got sort of like this southern accent, and he's talking about Terminators. And (laughs) it cuts to like this boardroom, and they're like, well, we can't use his voice. And it cuts to this other scientist who's just dubbed over with arnold's voice and he's like we'll work on it you know like it's like i mean it's a very stupid way of explaining that but that kind of made me laugh i
2: (laughs) like that in a future movie they try to figure out how can we explain the accent
0: and they also try and explain away like why there's just an assembly line of terminators that all look like arnold and that's interesting. When you think about it too much, it doesn't really hold up
1: to scrutiny. But that's one of the charms of Arnold is it doesn't matter. He's yeah. so charming, he's so fun, and it doesn't matter that he's got this crazy, bizarre Austrian accent in every single role. You know, and sometimes they do reference it. I can't remember what movie, but they he there'll be times where he's like back in my homeland in Austria or whatever. Like he'll like f- mention it, and it's like okay, well, good enough, you yeah. know. But uh,
0: Red Heat, they write him as Russian.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> And he does a bad Russian accent in that movie, but uh, still fun.
0: Or you could think of it as, like, the machines couldn't quite figure out how to program the voice just right, so it came out kind of strange.
1: Yeah. I think it's one of those things, yeah, I never questioned as a kid, and now it's just like... As a Arnold fan, I just never question the accent. And, like, when they try to explain it, it's fine. And when they don't explain it, it's also fine. Mm-hmm.
0: I think Robert Patrick as the T-1000 makes the most sense just oh, because yeah. he is such a blank canvas. Mm-hmm. Like, he just is this completely nondescript looking white guy who... Speaks in a very monotone, completely neutral of accent. It's mm-hmm. like this Midwest sort yeah, of. Yeah. I feel like he represents what James Cameron originally saw the character like for yeah. this. But then when he met Arnold, it's like, well, I gotta cast Arnold.
1: <laughs> well, and that's kind of I think why the how the movie got made in a little bit of a way. I think they were already planning it, but getting Arnold in would like definitely satisfied the studio. I think. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. And you guys were saying he was probably the biggest name at this time of the cast. Oh, oh yeah, totally, definitely.
1: I don't know. I, I like uh the, the Robert Patrick version, like, Terminator. And it's, like, almost like they were working on it. They're trying to get this killing machine to work. And, like, yeah, Arnold is what they got first. And it kind of works. It's pretty good. But then when they get to Robert Patrick's, was it T-1000? Or, yeah. Yeah then it's like, okay, they nailed it. Um, I don't understand in the... Well, let's not talk about Genesis. I think we can leave that off. (laughs) Well, we can later (laughs) talk about the sequels. I would like to pick your brain about that and see where
0: you lie there. The most iconic thing about this movie, hands down, maybe it was just my experience growing up, but is the music by Brad Fidel. Just that main theme and all the different pieces. I owned the soundtrack growing up, like the CDs for (laughs) Terminator and Terminator 2. Of course. And I just listened to them over and over and over (laughs) again. And so many 80s electronic scores have aged so horribly. And this sounds so good and so menacing. Granted, there's some parts in there that are a little dated, like when she's writing up on the Vespa and stuff. But like, this is just such a menacing score and I remember the first time I saw Terminator as a kid like renting it on VHS I was so unsettled by it it was like I just watched Nightmare on Elm Street or something it really felt like a horror movie to me whereas I was expecting something more along the lines of you know like a typical Arnold movie but I feel like a big part of that is the score just like setting this really unsettling it's almost like this ambient soundscape Mm -hmm. of like these robotic drones and things, and it works so well for
1: the movie. I totally agree. The score is amazing. And I think the other thing that makes it really unsettling and just scary is the makeup they do on Arnold. Because in the very beginning, he looks like Arnold, pretty boy, exactly. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then as it goes on, it's like he's got like burns and. You know, his face kind of changes when he's, like, in the cop car. And he just looks, like, freaky and scary.
2: Well, and they establish that he's rotting. Like, he smells and there are flies on him and stuff. So, you know, he's deteriorating. And then before that, when he was having to try and repair his arm. Mm -hmm. And how they, they kind of... They showed some of the makeup on what was seemed like his real arm and then they cut away and they just they show the scalpel and they don't show you actually like show him actually operating on his arm you just hear the sounds, so it just kind of like for me it was getting under my skin as i was watching it and then they finally cut to what looked like some kind of prop arm but it was still really realistic and it just it was beautifully gross.
1: Yeah, it was like a moving arm where you could see the metal on the inside of the bone moving with with the finger. It was like some animatronic piece that is just gorgeous, beautifully made, but I think you're right. They did such a good job of you know, using audio and cutaways to like kind mm-hmm. of only sparsely use the animatronics and make them feel that more
2: believable. Yeah, you know? I think it made it feel a lot more real doing it that way because if you, I think if they had shown the animatronics and some of the makeup and puppetry a little too much, then mm-hmm. it you would have kind of started to pick up, okay, this isn't really... happening right now
0: and the rotting flesh like that's something the sequels don't address at all like i feel like even in t2 there's a throwaway line where he's like these will heal so i can blend in exactly but it's been ruptured now just rotting and there's like flies around him (laughs) and he's just this has this like really pale like sickly look for the second half of the movie it's pretty upsetting to see arnold look that way
2: no and then we've got kyle reese running around in his homeless man's pants so we just had a really smelly I
0: forgot how gross some of this movie is. (laughs) Like, even the, uh, the, like, sex scene in this seedy motel, like, considering that it's the conception of the savior of humanity, it's such a, like, sleazy, you know, sort of, you know, with, like, the 80s blue light
1: and then she like he brings back the supplies from the store, and she's like, "Oh, there's there's gonna be some food here." And then it's all just like you know stuff to make bombs. And stuff. <laughs> Her last meal just... is that pizza that yeah. she's having when she hears the uh, the oh, news report.
2: Good yeah. point, actually. She doesn't
1: eat the rest of the movie. Well,
2: I mean, I guess we're supposed to assume she's eating something at some point because she wouldn't be able to get through all well, that. Well, she drinks the
1: coffee food. at the police station. Yeah. She's like, he's like trying to drink some of this, and she's like, "I don't know if I can." You You've know.
0: Established that coffee is two hours. Old and Lance Henriksen put a cigarette Out in it I, uh,
2: I like how she's so desperate To get food that she just rips the Shopping bags open and starts Taking things out like a normal person
1: You were obsessed with that detail That's pretty amazing just ripping it open and everything falling out on the yeah. table.
2: <laughs> Lindsay
0: was like, couldn't he at least have gotten Pop-Tarts? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I get it, they're in a rush, but just some food on the go would be nice. It's funny, because I never really thought about that moment, but it's true. Like she does; It is like clear that she wants food, and there is no food. He's
0: used to eating nothing. Like right. He might have grabbed a rat on the way out of town, right.
2: but... <laughs> But
1: then they still managed to make love right after that, which is pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah, <laughs> and She yeah. took
2: those pants off of him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and burned them, hopefully.
1: Yeah, I hope so. It's
2: like couldn't
0: you've gotten some jeans while you're out. Yeah.
2: And one thing you guys pointed out was having the topless shot of her what is it? It was in the eighties it seemed more common to have breasts on screen. You oh, don't really yeah. see that as much. Sean, you said it shifted over to TV where you see that more.
0: Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's that's an HBO. uh, It's in the contract. Does he have to do nudity? Yeah. But
2: we had a lot of like a decent amount of male nudity in this. You saw two rear end shots of the guys.
1: Yeah. I don't Um, know if you guys caught it, but like in the very beginning when he's approaching the um, the punks, I'm pretty sure you can see a, a. Penis swing. and Arnold, swinging, flopping yeah. yeah.
2: in the breeze. I was kind of wondering because they had it in shadow, and I was thinking if this wasn't VHS, would we actually be able to see something?
1: Right. Or is he wearing some sort of piece? You know. I have a feeling it? Arnold yep. would just wear nothing. Yeah,
0: <laughs> They'd care. offer him something, and he'd laugh and say, "No, I'm doing it's it got naked."
1: To be realistic, <laughs> <laughs> he's really into like things feeling real. Yeah. yeah.
2: I need to feel it swinging. <laughs>
0: yeah. As much as people poke fun at Arnold as an actor, he's very dedicated about. I mean. things Famously, he practiced with those guns, like unloading the magazine and slamming them back in like obsessively over and over and over again and going to the shooting range because he was like the Terminator would be extremely comfortable with like any gun. Oh, so yeah. he couldn't hesitate. Yeah, he anything. couldn't blink when he was shooting and things like that.
1: You feel it in the gun shop, like, it, yeah. like totally just natural the way that he's like, you know, loading each gun and like looking at each <laughs> down the rifle barrel of everything.
2: I, I just, the gun shop, this, the thing I love about that scene is the, the guy that runs the shop handing him an Uzi and then saying it's great for home defense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's some satire there. Right?
2: It's gotta be. Reagan
1: era satire. Yeah. <laughs> As a kid remembering this movie, before I rewatched it when I was like a teenager or like in in college or whatever, I uh, just only remembered the Terminator at the end, you know? And Mm -hmm. just like the whole final sequence, which is incredible and terrifying. And I was scared of as a kid, like you'd mentioned, you or Sean. Um, But you go back and watch it and there's so many action set pieces and so many stunts and so many brilliant moments it's, it's really a well done movie yeah
2: yeah i think it's been 18 or 20 years since i've seen this i don't wow. think i've seen it since ele- elementary school
1: so what did you think
2: i really enjoyed it it like i i remembered having enjoyed it as a kid but that i was, it was scary the main scene that i remembered was him coming out of the flames as mm-hmm. the the terminator with all his living skin melted off <laughs> It's great. There was way more character development and just a lot of interest that I hadn't remembered at all. (laughs) I did think of one random detail. Why did Kyle Reese need to be a virgin?
1: James Cameron probably has, like, a really great defense of why he thought it was important that he had to be a virgin. Like, maybe for, like, them to actually have sex in that moment. I was thinking maybe
2: it's a way to make him more sympathetic and vulnerable Mm. so that for her... You can kind of see why she would take the risk of sleeping him with him in the, at, at that moment.
0: Yeah, and it is refreshing that it's the guy that's the virgin instead of trying yeah. to make it a total Christ story. Mm-hmm. I mean, his initials are JC. Yeah. So I feel like there's a little bit of that. Yeah. Oh, John Connor. That's yeah. It. I didn't think think about that. i and I'm sure that's intentional. Like nothing's ever unintentional with a James Cameron. Oh, another JC. Yeah.
2: Well, and they kind of establish that she's an independent sort of person. That she's when her date flakes on her on a Friday night, she's just like, you know what, I'm going to go see a movie. So she goes out to dinner and for a movie by herself. Yeah. uh, Which a lot of people wouldn't do. So they're already kind of like putting out there that she's a renegade. Yeah. As it says on her jeep at the end. (laughs) Right. And a
1: strong woman character, even before she goes through this whole Terminator ordeal. You know.
0: I mean, a lot of things about this movie blew my mind as a kid, but I remember one of my first conceptions of like a character arc was this movie as a kid, like that
1: moment in the factory when she's like,
0: on your feet, soldier. Yeah. And I was like,
1: yeah, she's turning into a badass. Yeah. Like and so many great lines that are henceforth ruined in um, later sequels. Yeah.
0: Or even other Arnold <laughs> movies.
1: Like he says,
0: I'll be back and like commando for no yeah. reason.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
0: I'll be back, Bennett. <laughs> yeah.
1: What other movie does he say I'll be back in? I
2: I think Besides Terminator movies? Yeah, I think they probably squeezed it into
1: a few. I mean,
0: Last Action Hero works it in. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's a very meta sort of movie. Right. He right.
1: said it
2: when he was running for governor.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think a, a memory just popped in of another movie of uh, Encino Man where he says, I'll be back in that movie after watching Arnold on the TV say that. Oh. oh. <laughs> was that but, Brendan Fraser? I think yeah. it Brendan Fraser. Yeah, it's Brendan
2: Fraser, and he had been buried, right? It was. Yeah,
1: he's a
0: caveman. Yeah. You guys want to talk sequels? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Have you guys seen all of the... I mean, there's, there's T2, T3, Salvation genesis and there's also you were talking about the sarah connor chronicles which is sort of its own thing the the tv TV show show. yeah
2: i've i haven't seen the most recent sequel with amelia clark is that who's in it yeah i think i've seen all the other ones but i just don't really remember them
1: yeah i've seen all of them and i've seen not the whole sarah connor chronicles but i think at least the first two seasons or the first season
0: yeah, I think it only lasted two
1: seasons. Oh, I remember thinking it was season. all right, the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, well, L- Lena Headley, or Hetty, she's so good in it. Is it Headley or Headley? I think it's Hetty. Hetty. Yeah. Is it Hetty? Or is it Headley?
2: I think it's Headley. Is it Headley? I, I don't know. We could also look it up. We, have I'm just thinking, I'm we just do thinking have the of, internet. I'm
1: just thinking of Hetty Lamar from, uh, you know, uh, Blazing Saddles. It is
0: <laughs> It is Lena Hetty. 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 Hetty
1: nice yeah well she does such a great job as sarah Cron- connor in that tv show it's pretty amazing
2: well she does a good strong woman but still bringing kind of like that not humanity but like the the realism to it mm-hmm. a real person being dragged in
1: she plays sarah connor kind of scary too which is sort of fun mm-hmm. but that's like her w- wheelhouse is like adding that little like edge to all her characters you know yeah but anyways here i want to have a question for you sean what's your favorite of the terminator sequels not counting two
0: I think it's objectively 3, just because, (laughs) I mean, that's the only one that's, like, watchable, right? I mean, 3 is, I mean, what I, here's what I like about 3. I feel like it's a movie that's bashed a lot, but considering that it's a long-delayed sequel and the expectations couldn't be higher look we're gonna do t2 again it's gonna be more of like a b movie it's gonna be set in 24 hours it's gonna be shorter and more compact and trashy fun it feels like a saturday morning cartoon that aside i kind of like the finale of that movie because basically it kind of closes a lot of the logic gaps in the second one where it's basically saying look you can't stop this apocalypse from happening you can just delay it yeah and for like a big blockbuster to end with the world just (laughs) facing nuclear annihilation is pretty ballsy i think and i do have a soft spot for kristana loken as the the tx the female terminator i think there's no way she could have topped arnold or even jason or uh not jason patrick Robert Patrick. Uh, Robert Patrick but she does a good job with it like she's creepy She like all the like spindly things <laughs> she does like her head turning around and stuff she's a real creep in that movie
1: yeah I do also love the ending and mm-hmm. like, I love that they just went there yeah. you know and that they didn't like string it out for another sequel string it out for another sequel it's like they just like no that's what happens let's get to it you know and that chase of the I don't know if you got this far on your most recent watch you saw part of it well I saw it in the theater when it first came out and then I rewatched half of it like maybe four months ago
0: there's a chase scene where the whole thing in the third one is she can take over other machines so there's Mm. a chase where these remote controlled cop cars and like a crane like there's this ridiculous chase scene where probably like a third of that movie's budget it went towards it and I remember the summer of 2003 all anybody could talk about was that car chase in Matrix Reloaded oh, yeah. but I was like wait this is way better than that <laughs> and it's just like what's weird about it is it's just in the suburbs of LA so they're like running over people's lawns and stuff and it feels like again like it doesn't touch T1 or 2 but it's just like a fun like goofy sort of yeah. thing
1: it's it's own thing and I, I think I wish it wasn't as silly as it is but it does definitely embrace it's own tone throughout mm. And I think that's one thing that you can really you have to give tip your hat to. Yeah. And it's got Arnold. And it's got some great scenes, and it's got a good ending. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I definitely agree with you that it's the best of all the non-T2 sequels. What do you
0: think of uh, Salvation and oh, Genesis? Man.
1: So, Salvation, I did rewatch all the way through that uh, just a few months ago. And, uh, God, like, I remember hating it in the theater, and I pretty uh-huh. much hate, I don't know, my wife, Beth, who is a big Arnold fan, too, she was trying to defend um, Salvation. And I'm <laughs> just like... It's just bad. It's yeah. just bad. It's bad and it's pointless and there's great actors in it and they're wasted. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big Christian Bale fan and I just think that he's totally misused in this movie. And it's just long, boring, and the best action sequences aren't even that good. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I have nothing really good to say about Salvation. <laughs> no. Did you see that one, Salvation?
2: No, I didn't. But there's a lot of. I was just thinking there are a lot of franchises where they've made sequels recently that just they really didn't need to make, like, yeah, there's, yeah, so yeah. Many. there's so
1: many that we can bring up. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's it just goes to show you how hard it is to make a good Terminator movie, and maybe there just isn't enough story to tell after the second one, because there's such mere images of each other, yeah. like Arnold as working for the bad guys, or this new model that's, you know, forms this, like, father-son connection with John Connor, like... There's just not a whole lot you can do beyond that.
1: Well, I kind of like that Salvation at least tried to tell a story that was different than the other Terminator movies, you mm-hmm. know, but they just made it so stupid, like, you know.
0: And if you don't have Arnold, why make a movie with <laughs> yeah. Terminator in the title?
1: I mean, it's a really cool universe, right? Uh-huh. But m- why don't we create new universes and rather than trying to farm, like, you know, more content out of the same universe that's already yeah. been gone back to millions of times, you know.
0: And in preparation for this podcast, I finally saw Genesis, which I actually had some friends work on because it was shot in San Francisco um, or part of it was, I guess, like a unit shot out here for a week or two that's I think even worse than Salvation in some ways just because it's I mean it's just such a mess of like let's go back to the first one and recreate these iconic scenes slavishly and like do the Back to the Future 2 thing of, or like the Star Trek reboot right. thing of having this old, whole other timeline and it's like it spins its wheels so much on explaining things
1: that it sort of forgets to be a movie in the process
2: yeah.
1: oh. I was on board with it until like I think maybe 30 minutes in or something and then you're like oh god no! Like why? it just goes off the rails. Like yeah. I, I love the concept and the idea of like trying to rewrite the timeline and go something different within the same like time period and like oh there's a different way that Sarah Connor is now, like, she got trained earlier or whatever. Like, I just think that's kind of cool, but they just completely biffed it. It sounds
2: like they're overcomplicating it, too, Mm because if you think about the the movie we just watched, isn't that complicated or... It's (laughs) intricate. There are a lot of, like, different details that they follow through, but when you think about the basic storyline, it's Mm -hmm. not that complex.
1: Yeah, and it's just, like, so... I'm going to ruin the movie a little bit, but not really. But, you know, it's bad enough, so don't, we don't even need to ruin it. But I, I just like, you know, they have Amelia uh, Clark say all these wonderful lines from the first movie to, um, you know, the characters in this other movie. It's like, you know, get on your feet, soldier, and mm-hmm. come with me if you want to live. Like, she says them all, and you're like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you ruining these lines by having them be used in this terribly. Kitchy, like t- cheesy way it's like uh, they're a, they're a rock band
0: or like a revival band or
1: tribute band that just
0: playing the hits at this yeah. point
1: they don't even really know how to do something new i did like that arnold was in it and i and i liked arnold's performance in um in genesis but i just because i just like arnold you mm-hmm. know and i feel like he should be in these movies yeah right? but like i just felt the storytelling in a lot of the performances and you know Amelia Clark's a great act- actor, but I think she was just completely miscast in this movie. It's just like, why is she Sarah? She's just not the right person to play Sarah Connor. You know, she's just not tough enough. She's too sweet. She's too, you know, too likable. She's not. She's not that hardened Sarah Connor. You know. Also, I miss she, this cast. Oh, sorry. Wait, no. did
2: she play the Dragon Lady in Game of Thrones? Yeah. It's so funny that she wasn't able to play that kind of like hard-edged role for the yeah. for Genesis, but that she can manage to do it for Game of Thrones.
1: I guess it's because it's different, because it's like she's you know it's more Shakespearean or you know old school in um, Game oh, of Thrones, so. and then she's supposed to be playing this modern lady. You know she's she's British, right? Uh-huh. So like she gets to have her British accent in Game of Thrones, but in this one she's doing an American accent, and it's just it's just that. I think it yeah, all falls apart. I
0: think also just. Back in the 80s, I mean, granted they would cast attractive people, but they were, like, kind of interesting-looking. Like, Michael Bean is such a (laughs) weird-looking, like, weaselly guy in this (laughs) movie. I mean, his performance, I feel like, is really underrated in this, because he really sells, like, this... He's just freaking out, and it's like, we may not be able to beat (laughs) this thing.
1: He does such a
0: good job. And and they cast uh, Jay Courtney in Genesis as Kyle Reese, and he's just, like, this pretty empty vessel... And it's just kind of like, why do we have to cast these like beautiful
1: shells of human beings in modern movies? Right. I'm I'm the hardest person on Jai Courtney ever. Like, I just think he's just bad in most everything. And then you see him in Suicide Squad. You know, he's Australian, right? So he, mm-hmm. they're letting him actually have his Australian accent. And he was like a delight in that movie, and my one of the best parts of Suicide Squad. And I'm just like, why why don't you let him have more fun with the character? Now I'm just going back and blaming the directors, and not Jai Courtney, for all his bad performances because, like, you know, he can actually do some good some good acting. Yeah. It Lindsay, seems like he,
2: they got talent and then they just worked on the superficial aspects of the movie because they yeah. probably also packed it with tons of CGI and, and all that
1: stuff. Yeah, and then, like, one of the best uh, reveals of the movie is given away in the trailer, and you're like, why would you tell me that in the trailer? That was actually a cool moment that <laughs> you, yeah. like, had, but now it's ruined because I saw it in the stupid trailer. It's like Like, comedies
2: uh, where they give away all the best jokes in the trailer. Yeah,
0: And the newest Terminator flopped, at least domestically, but I think they're still going to try and make another one. And it just seems kind of futile. Like, I'm not looking forward to another Terminator movie. I feel like I watch one and two once a year, every other year, and I just can't imagine, unless James Cameron is back, I can't imagine getting excited for another one.
2: Everything is about sequels now, though. Yeah.
1: There's got to be a story to tell within the Terminator universe that's good, but I don't know what it is. And I do agree. It's got to be like, you know, a really talented filmmaker that's got to go in and get out of the studio involvement, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, um, what's the guy's name? Alan. Who directed it? Alan Taylor. He's like the Game of Thrones guy. who yeah. directed the new Genesis. He's and like a TV veteran. Yeah, and like he does a great job of Game of Thrones, and his um, Thor movie wasn't that bad. Did you guys see that? I saw it. Yeah. Did yeah. he do
2: the first one? Or... He
1: did the second one.
2: Oh, uh, okay, that
1: was alright. Yeah, it's pretty good, you know. But like, I just feel like they—they're not. They gotta let it go the more indie, indie independent filmmaker route. I think mm-hmm. like let like some filmmakers, some you know people come in and write their own version. Like, give them creative control. Don't get the suits involved. Don't yeah. get all the, the corporation, corporate studio bullshit involved. And just let a filmmaker tell their own story, and we'll see what happens. Maybe it'll be good.
0: I'm, I'm encouraged by things like Get Out. It doesn't even require a lot of money. Just give a filmmaker carte blanche. Give them, like, $5 million, and just, like, yeah. let him
1: go. Exactly. I guess
0: the studios are very hesitant, too hand the reins of this like venerable right. franchise over to anybody and
1: imagine just who that person is who got to make it out it's jordan peele who's like you know one of the biggest most successful comedians ever yeah it's like, you know and i think even he had a hard time like you know convincing them to like let him make that movie the way he wanted to yeah. and thank god god they did because it was a it's a great movie yeah. you know mm-hmm. Um, but yeah it's like not all of us can be Jordan Peele. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well the fact that Martin Scorsese isn't seen is a sure thing and he's had to go through is he's doing his next film through Netflix. Oh is that they right? Yeah,
0: the um, the Irishman. It's De Niro, Pacino, Keitel. It's like a dream cast of like salty 70s Uh, (laughs) New York York actors. His usual
2: studio uh, that he did Silence through because Silence was kind of a commercial flop. They're Mm. nervous now. Right. Just crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, Ulrich and I were on. I mean, kind of the other side of this.
2: (laughs) Can I talk about this, (laughs) Ulrich? Okay. You need to. The two of you together now. I
0: I've been hesitant to talk about this on this podcast, and I guess Ulrich hasn't mentioned it on his podcast. But we worked on uh, a little movie called Twixt, uh, (laughs) Twixt. written and directed by one Francis Ford Coppola. (laughs) And I feel like we were sort of talking about this. I don't know what the final budget of that movie was. Uh, maybe maybe you have some
1: idea. I, I don't know. I think it's over a million. I think it's somewhere around a million, million two maybe. They roughly. reported
0: seven, which is not true. Because yeah. <laughs> unless all
1: that went to Val Kilmer. I don't know, maybe it was seven. I don't know. But that that's what I was hearing on the set was yeah. like somewhere over a million, like around there and like all self financed by Francis, you know. Could
2: seven also be like all of the costs after filming and, like, marketing and that sort of thing?
1: Maybe. I don't know. Well, he had all these crazy ideas to, like, take it on the road and do, like, a road show with it and, like, where he would edit it live on, you know, in the theater and, like, pick different, like, endings based off of what the audience wanted, which I don't think ever happened. It never
0: happened. And the only reason I bring that up is uh, because that's an example of... Maybe that's the sort of film Where you want the suits in To sort of say no I mean that was the sort of thing Where he had a dream in Istanbul So not and, Italy uh, not Yeah Italy. <laughs> You can enough. only have dreams in not- Italy And make movies out of them If you're in yeah. Istanbul He, I guess he had a dream about uh, Coppola had a dream where He was being led around by Poe Like basically elements of that movie And then he woke up He wanted to know the rest of the story so that's what twixt is about and he sort of threw in these other elements of his personal life
1: yeah
0: and uh and that was just a situation where i wish there's some cool elements in there but i knew from the first time i was a I was a pa early on in production uh (laughs) pre-production and before the ad's came in
2: What's PA and what's oh, AD? Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Just, sorry, sorry, like, sorry. So, people. <laughs> so I was a
0: production assistant, and I was one of the very first people hired. It was this weird thing where I was like in an empty office, and I remember being handed the script, and I was like salivating, like, "Oh my god, I'm looking at a Francis Ford Coppola script. This guy directed The Godfather and Apocalypse Now." And I open it, and like my smile just slowly fades, is like. Well, how many pages was the first draft? It was 70. Wow. So it wasn't even like a, And like a lot of things that ended up in the movie were just like Val Kilmer riffing. And right,
1: right. He so loves those,
2: to riff. Yeah, yeah. this
1: guy's a riffer. Well, it's, it's funny because I got brought into the project later. Like, I, I think I only joined a week after Principal Photography had started because they just needed help. They needed a, more people in production. So I got yeah. brought on as a production coordinator. And I just sort of got thrown into the mix, like, after the movie was already begun. But you might have more insight about the genesis of the project. I only know what I heard after the fact, just about, like, you know, him writing this movie and then, like, starting pre-production. Like, it it was, like, a short story. They start pre-production, and then, like, as they're doing pre-production, he's, like, writing the script and finishing it. I don't know. Is that pretty pretty accurate?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it was always changing, and you wouldn't, I mean... You know he'd be in his van kind of like figuring it out every morning and
1: <laughs> yeah it definitely like, were you involved on the reshoots too or were you only involved on the principal i
0: went back to i mean i took a semester off school so i didn't come back for the reshoots okay,
1: yeah because the reshoot was way more fun the, oh yeah the the first part was pretty miserable um yeah we were all working really long hours and you know, it was just fun to be working with Francis Ford Coppola on this movie with all these really cool people. But, yeah, it was a slog for yeah. sure. But then I think the second part, the morale was a lot better because the eighty the team was different. And there were a lot of people I knew from the local community and, like, enthralled to be part of a Francis Ford Coppola movie. And we were all just having a good time. And yeah. it was, I don't know, maybe the, the scenes we were shooting were, were not as difficult. Like, the schedule was a little bit lighter. Um, I don't exactly know... I just remember that second part being a lot more fun. <laughs>
2: Probably having, like, local community people in there, too. It's more of a tight-knit group, so they're already yeah. friends, and that creates some geniality off the bat.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of the the, the AD, I mean, you know, the AD team on the first part was, was all well and good, but I think the AD team was completely different on the second, and, like, the way that they structured the schedule, I think, was just more favorable for the crew than the way the yeah. other team structured it, you know? But yeah, I think what I took away from that project was like, have a good story, you know? Like, mm. like put the time into the script. And I think, from what I understand, is Francis wanted to make the movie that way. Like, he wanted it to be this fluid experience where he didn't have, like, a fully formed script going into production, that it was constantly changing and that he was, like, treating it like water. Like, if he had an idea, he would just try that on the day and throw out the script and try something new. And, like, really, he I think he enjoyed that experience. But i think the lesson is like maybe even if that's enjoyable that that's not the best way to make a movie necessarily you know i think it's all about story like you gotta have the great story the great kernel and like really put the time into to craft your story well and i think that's kind of how a good movie is made and i think that's what happened with terminator right they put a lot of time into that you know like, James yeah. Cameron didn't come back from Italy after the dream and say, we're going to shoot in two weeks, you know? Imagine if he had. Oh, my God! <laughs> we'll figure it out on the day. Lance Hendrickson's the Terminator. Like, oh, you know, whatever. We'll get whoever we can to play these other characters, like.
2: But this is something that was clearly crafted with those small details that they tie in from beginning to end and everything. Yeah. And the consistency of the design and all of that stuff, the effects and everything. It's Yeah, a lot
1: of foreshadowing, mm-hmm. as we talked yeah. about with, like, the trash compactor stuff and then... Like even that one shot where he roll, rolls his car up into uh, the the lawn of one of the Sarah Connors and he crushes a truck with his with his car wheel. That's a great detail. We see that truck <laughs> later on as it, you know as exploded in the you know in the final sequence and I just think all those moments are so perfect and yeah it's all detailed and wonderfully scripted out and I think yeah that's what makes it so good or one mm-hmm. of the reasons yeah. Uh, anyways, we should do a whole nother, like, I gotta have you on my podcast so we can, we can do a Twixt conversation because yeah. there's, there's so many stories and I think a lot of lessons to be learned from that and, you know, like, yeah, we don't want to say anything negative about anybody and, you know. I would never name names. I mean, there were actually some really great people oh, yeah. that I really looked up to And Francis was shoot. so much fun to work with. Like, he was so wonderful with us and with the crew and uh, really a joy to watch him do his thing, you know. Even though the final product is, um, you know, less than perfect, let's just say. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, I don't know. Hopefully we didn't say anything to will offend anybody. <laughs> I, don't, but, I don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, good. There you go. That's a, that's a good way.
2: I mean, when you're in making films, you have to get used to reviews, right? Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. have different opinions and different takes.
1: The last thing I want to say about that, that was a really wonderful experience for me. And I mean, whether or not it was, it was also one of the hardest things I ever did, but it was also one of the most fun things I ever did, too
0: all right well this is the part of the show where we say do we buy it rent it or tape over it uh you know kind of your final assessment of this film i think i know where we're all gonna land on this uh i'll go first i think this is a buy it i think it's a classic uh seminal sci-fi movie just launching james cameron and arnold and linda hamilton into the pantheon it's just a total classic
2: i think all right yeah
1: buy it for sure it's one of my favorites i watch it like at least like once a year my my wife beth is also one of her favorite movies so like if i'll come home from work she'll be watching it it'll just be on (laughs) like it's one of those movies that we just watch a lot and uh you know yeah all the the behind the scenes i've seen all that stuff and i love watching that stuff again and yeah definitely a big reason of like why i want to continue to make movies is this movie so yeah buy it for sure awesome lindsay
2: i'm also a buy it is this Ooh. the first time we've had all three like when we've had a guest uh, all three have said buy i know it. Of
0: one evil dead 2 with
2: gavin oh that's Girl. right Girl i still Girl gotta man.
1: listen to that episode it's a good one yeah G- that's Gavin's right Gavin's really cool and like i love that movie as much yeah. as you guys do. I think. so yeah i gotta get on that one
2: but yeah this is just a really strong film it's got all the suspense and excitement that you want it's got a steady pace so you don't feel bored or it's not dry at any point it has a little humor to kind of interrupt all of the heart racing action and the characters are really interesting like it's got a lot going on and it's not i didn't yell at anyone during the (laughs) movie which happens a lot when you have kind of like a horror suspense
0: everyone behaves in a way that's logical but not annoying which i appreciate
1: Exactly. Yeah. Even the Kyle Reese character is behaving in a way that makes sense for where he's coming from and who he is and why he's there. It's yeah. all just right in sync with like what your human brain expects to go be going down.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's one thing when we had um, Halloween, and then when we also did what's what's the Lakeside Camp Murder movie? Oh, Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the Thirteenth. Where we just like ranting and raving at the characters in <laughs> <and> there. <laughs> Making oh,
0: poor man. choices. Yeah. But
2: no, Sarah Connor is cool.
0: Granted, Sarah Connor does make some uh, bad horror movie choices, oh, like yeah. calling her mom, yeah. quote unquote, mom, Arnold Schwarzenegger, to Whoa. tell her where she is.
2: But she had no idea that Arnold Schwarzenegger could imitate anyone's voice.
0: That's something yeah. Kyle Reese left out, so maybe that's on him. Maybe he didn't
1: even know.
2: That's it's, true. It's possible it's, it's the technology new model. Because yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't think it's ever addressed by the characters. Right? No, it's never really mentioned. Not in this one. It is in the second one. Yeah. The second one they talk about yeah. how he can manipulate voices. Because they, they have that information because yeah. that they're with the other... T100. T-100, right? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I'm
2: thinking about it, like Kyle Reese's experience with the Terminators is that they can blend in, but I don't know how much they use phones and that sort of thing in there.
0: Or T-800 model 101. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know, it's, it's confusing. I think I, you're
1: right, I think it is T-800. I, I think, think T-100 is a different model. I
0: think, yeah. I think 800 is the robot, and 101 refers to the Arnold exterior, uh-huh. like that skin.
2: And that's the update. Yeah. yeah, the tea. A living flesh update uh-huh. that yeah. makes them travel through time. I like that detail. Only living <laughs> things can get through. Yeah. But uh, Arnold's able to make it because he has that skin around Mm. him.
1: That's a little. That's a little flimsy. It's a little
2: flimsy, right? It's their way (laughs) to get around it. The time machine was
0: fooled by the outer (laughs) exterior. Because
2: I like when they said that. I had this image. I was picturing Arnold going through, but the his his cyborg body didn't make it. Mm. So just the skin drops down.
1: That could have backfired on a old Skynet, I think their their <laughs> logic for that should have been better and rather than saying it needed to be human flesh, they should have said it just needs to be it's one connected thing, mm-hmm. whether it's yeah. you know a human or a t eight hundred or whatever, like you know you can't bring anything in addition to the one item, yeah, know? that would have been a better logic, I think, James Cameron <laughs>
2: damn it, James Cameron,
1: you ruined it. <laughs>
2: All right, Sean, it's that time. What are we going to watch next time?
1: Uh, We don't
0: have a lot of time to talk about it, so I'll just say what it is. The Mighty Ducks.
2: Oh, yes. (laughs) Finally. That's a
0: fun one. (laughs) I'll just leave it there.
2: We'll get one of the sheen-not-sheens on. (laughs) The
1: sheen-not-sheens.
0: The
2: (laughs)
1: I can't wait for that episode because I'm a big Mighty Ducks fan. I mean, I think anyone our age has probably grown up watching that movie. Oh, yeah.
0: It's been long enough that my memories of it might be confused with D2 and D3. And, like, I don't, I'm not sure if I know exactly how the first one plays out. So it'll be like watching it for the first time. I'm
2: pretty sure it's my tape that we'll be watching. Okay, if you want to get all technical.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, my episode, her tape, Mighty Ducks.
1: Uh, Ulrich, I want to thank you for being on the show today oh, thank you guys uh, where can people check out your podcast so if you go to makingmoviesishard.com you can uh, find all our episodes we I think are about to release. I don't know when this is going to come out, but we just recorded episode ninety four. Oh wow, so we're coming up, f- up on hundred. Yeah, that's centennial. We're trying to get a celebrity to be on the hundredth episode. It's not going so. Well. Oh yeah, I've got some <laughs>
0: suggestions for you. We oh, could please. talk off
1: mic about some people that yeah. might be like uh, doable. Yeah, please. Any suggestions would be great. I've I've emailed a whole bunch of uh, big time directors um, and have gotten some word back from some that like now is not a good time, but check back later and then some no response so it's nice to get no's back well the fact that they
2: take the time to respond is really nice
1: yeah one one was actually the director themselves who got back to me not just their people and that was pretty exciting so we'll see we'll see in the future
0: and then all these great short films that you've done that have played oh, at all these dear. festivals, where can we see some of those? Are they, is there like a, a single place where yeah. they're collected?
1: So if you go to brussellproductions.com, you'll find all my shorts. Um, Brother is there, Strange Thing is there, Zombie vs. Drone is also on there, which is a, a fun one. And then The Rage, my newest short, is uh, finally done. It took a year, and I told I was planning to get it done within two months it took me a whole year. It's finally finished, and uh, I'm submitting that to festivals now. And then I think I'm probably gonna release it online um, pretty soon. I don't know when, but uh, yeah, I gotta just find the right the right market to you know promote that movie because it's all my other ones are horror, sci-fi, or some kind of mix of those, and this one's like weird as shit. It's definitely <laughs> it's like a psychological drama maybe, but uh, it's really odd. So I gotta find the right market to distribute it anyways well thanks for having me this was a, a, a treat just to watch movies uh, with you guys and yeah. uh, especially such a great movie and talk about it it's really fun I love doing this kind of thing yeah well think about what you want to come on with uh, next time yeah and I'll definitely have you on our show too to talk about this show and many of the other <laughs> things that you well. do as a filmmaker I know you got a lot of um, you know um, pans well, pans in the fire uh, pots on the boiler uh, uh. what's it called Brick? Brick? stuff on fire <laughs> like everything's on fire i don't know there's, yeah. a, there's a term <laughs> no, there i'm gonna think term. of it after we're done recording fingers in the pot uh hands uh, i don't know we'll have, uh, iron hands. iron's in the
0: fire yeah that's it i
2: was about to that say bricks
0: a... in the oven <laughs>
2: that, that's well, not a we've, saying we've got some creatives and writers in the room in yeah three of us could
0: not figure it out yeah um, and while we're uh, thanking creatives, I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon.
2: You can find more of our other episodes at tapeheadspodcast.com. We'll also put up links to Ulrich's uh, shorts and where you can find his other podcast. And we'll find some kind of picture of that weird cassette oh, yeah. disc thing to put up. Yeah. There's got to be a picture online. I'll, yeah.
1: I will see if I can... Because I, I made my mom keep the whole collection. Like She, she got rid what? of all of my grandpa's oh. records after he passed and sold them all, his whole record collection. But I made her keep the, all the di- video discs. I nice. smell a spinoff podcast yeah. here. <laughs> but the problem is the players are so old. We have two players. They both right. don't work. And I got to figure out how to repla- uh, repair them. But I was oh, trying yeah. to get them... Get my wife to let me bring that collection to my house, and she just put her foot down. And was like, "There's no way you're bringing six boxes of these humongous video discs into yeah. our house." Oh, that's but funny. the collection's amazing. Big Trouble for Little China's in there. Oh, um, that's such a
2: good movie. Yeah,
1: like he's got all these horror movies, it's mostly genre movies, and then a bunch of old westerns. Some really old um, musicals are on there. Like that's where I first watched the Marx Brothers was through the, the, those uh, video discs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to keep it and eventually I'll restore it and have it somewhere to be able to watch them. But yeah, maybe I'll get her to take a picture of uh, the Terminator one that I have. Yeah, I want to see it. That'd
2: be so cool. Yeah, it's
1: pretty amazing. I can't
2: even
0: picture what you're describing. I thought I knew all of this (laughs) archaic media so well. Like there was a blind spot in my knowledge here. Think
1: of like a thin Nintendo cartridge, all white, but the size of a Laserdisc. It's so weird. <laughs> it's very weird, man. It's it, I don't know if anyone else has ever heard of these things, but I yeah. It's got to be with somebody
2: it. out there that. That makes
0: these. me think of my dad's old uh, Quadra Macintosh. Instead of like a regular disk drive, there are the disk caddies where you'd load a CD into like this jewel case that mm. you would then insert into mm. the computer. That's all I can think of when you're talking yeah. about these trays that they came. That sounds kind of similar. Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. Love old media.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool.
2: Well, you can also contact us at tapeheadspodcast at com, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes.
0: That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. I'm Lindsay. And I guess
2: I'm Ulrich. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> Until next time.